Good morning from the Financial Times. Today is Tuesday, February 8th, and this is your FT News Briefing. Just when you thought it couldn't get worse for Credit Suisse, the bank is on trial now for allegedly laundering money for a Bulgarian mafia. And the EU is trying to get tough on American big tech companies, but the White House isn't on board. Plus, refugees coming from France often land in Dover, England. So how do the people there feel about the arrival of these migrants? It makes no more sense to be for it or against it than it does to be for or against the weather. We'll talk to the writer Horatio Clare about his visit to Dover in our second of three reports on the UK migrant crisis. I'm Mark Filipino, and here's the news you need to start your day. The White House is lobbying the European Union to water down landmark tech regulation. The legislation would prevent companies like Google and Amazon from using their market power to stifle competition. But the FT reports that a senior U.S. official wrote to the EU lawmaker who is leading negotiations on the Digital Markets Act. They're hoping Brussels will not just target American tech companies. The FT's Javier Espinoza says if the EU does go down the path it's on, it could dramatically affect the way big tech does business. Potentially, a company like Apple will be forced to open its app store to competing app stores. This is quite a radical change because it means that what has been essentially a walled garden controlled by a gatekeeper, it's open up to competition. This could potentially mean that a company like Apple loses billions. So what is next is a ramping up of lobbying from the U.S. government, uh, ramping up from tech companies. So it is fair to say that this is round one or round two of many more to come. Javier Espinoza covers European tech regulation for the Financial Times. Credit Suisse yesterday became the first Swiss bank in the country's history to go on trial for criminal charges. The allegations are that between 2004 and 2008, the bank processed funds for a Bulgarian mafia, and that it didn't do enough to adequately question the source of the funds or conduct proper checks on its clients. Now, the bank denies all this. But the FT Sam Jones says this, plus all the other ongoing scandals, have caused huge damage to Credit Suisse's reputation. It's had a really rough two years, not just with this case, but with a whole series of scandals, with personnel departures. Chief executive to Jantiam was forced out over a spying scandal. And, and only in the last few weeks, its new chairman, Antonio Horto Osorio, he had to resign for breaking Swiss quarantine rules. And then there's been a whole series of kind of scandals uh, where the bankers uh, lost investors' money. This comes after a long and, and rather troublesome period for, for Credit Suisse. And more importantly as well, this case in the sort of broader context is really important for Switzerland because it is the first instance of a bank, a Swiss bank, being charged uh, with criminal offences. Uh, this just hasn't happened in Swiss law before. So the outcome of this case is really important. Sam Jones is the FT's Austria and Switzerland correspondent. Yesterday, we brought you to a refugee camp in northern France. We heard from migrants like this 28-year-old woman, Bacan. We have some, about some families there, and our English is better than French learning a new language is really difficult. We just want to go study there, continue our life there. Refugees want to make the treacherous journey across the English Channel 
And what's often on the other side is the town of Dover. It's been in the national and international spotlight for its role in the refugee crisis, but what does it actually look like on the ground? And how do people feel about the responsibility of bringing refugees to safety and hosting them in Dover? Author Horatio Clare recently visited Dover to answer these questions. He joins me now as part of our three-part series on the migrant crisis. Hi, Horatio. Hi, Mark. So, Horatio, we're hearing about these waves of people in boats and inflatable dinghies crossing the channel, arriving on British shores. What did you see? Well, it's fascinating because it's unless you're quite lucky, it's quite hard to see. So um, these boats cross the channel um, every still day pretty well and certainly every still calm night. And it's about 21 miles. Uh, and there's some of them set off from Dunkirk, which is more like 30 miles. There's a long shingle beach to the south of Dover, which is Dungeness, and a lot of them end up there. And then there are bays to the north, St. Margaret's and Kingsdown and others end up there. But unless you are lucky, um, you won't see that. What happens is that about halfway over the channel, they're picked up by radar, by spotter plane, transferred from their boats into British vessels, either the lifeboat or border force, and taken into Dover Harbour, where they disappear very quickly from view. Why is the story of Dover an important one? So what's shocking about this whole story is that it's told as if it's some sort of invasion. And that's what I was expecting on Dover's shore, you know, a resistance and anger, perhaps a xenophobia. In fact, I found people deeply engaged in this extraordinary effort to save and protect these people. It's a humanitarian miracle. But we're not being told that story as it is. We're being told it as if it's all some sort of invasion by a faceless third force made up of these semi-alien beings called migrants. And the awful thing is it does a terrible disservice to the people of Dover, who, it turns out, behind their brightly coloured tabards, because there's an hiring boom, you know, security companies, tended to be, or were, gentle, humane, often retired, on minimum wage now, and come down to the docks and put on their security gear to help these people, to make sure they were all right. That's ordinary British people doing a really kind job that they really mind about out of the goodness pretty well of their hearts. So Horatio, you, you talked to a bunch of people, but only after you agreed not to use their names. Uh, I understand border officials or other government employees not wanting, not wanting their name out there. But why do you think across the board people were so hesitant to have their name out there? So normally um, lifeboat personnel, so the Royal National Lifeboat Institution, um, I was a lifeboat man once, and lifeboat men and women are prized and loved in their communities, or have been up until recently, when they were accused of acting like a taxi service for migrants, by the right and by the hard right particularly. So the reason they don't now talk is because that fear of provoking, I think, a backlash for those reasons, and also for very personal reasons, the impression that within families and within network groups, people have different feelings about the people coming across the channel. And that because the press has characterised it as this sort of um, invasion, you're either for it, uh, in which case, you know, you're a lefty, uh, you're uh, out of touch, you're the elite, or uh, you're characterised as being right-wing xenophobic thug. Um, and clearly neither of these things are true, but this issue, because of the way it's been reported, I think, polarises. Horatio, you depicted the situation in a, in a really interesting way, that you can be either for it 
or against it. And it occurs to me that for people in Dover, it just kind of is, right? Like this is the situation. They have no control over it and they can choose how they react. And that's kind of the heart of what your reporting and your writing shows. You're exactly right. It's, it, it makes no more sense to be for it or against it than it does to be for or against the weather. And the people of Dover, particularly one lifeboat coxswain, who articulated this to me beautifully, absolutely summed that up. They said, he said, we are uh, the interface with the continent. It's like that's what it is here. It's war, refugees, um, which was Dover has a very proud history of taking in, and now migrants. Um, that's what it's like. And you're absolutely right. You're, you're, there's no for or against it. It is what it is. And it hasn't been particularly well looked after. You can see how austerity has bitten Dover. Kay Marsh, uh, the resident and campaigner there, said that, you know, this is a working class town which has plenty of problems. Most of us don't think about how people coming across the channel are going to survive. We're too busy surviving ourselves. So you're right. They do get on with it. Um, And when that means that there's work and that that work means helping people, um, what I saw was people doing it gladly. Of everything that you saw on your visit to Dover, Horatio, is there one is there one image that stands out in your mind, one scene that you really remember? That's a beautiful question. Um, so it's dark, it's before dawn, it's raining, it's really cold. A boat has come across, they've been welcomed in, they've been saved from the channel, they've been taken up, they've been checked for coronavirus, been given warm clothing, and now uh, they're being issued, ushered onto a bus to be taken uh, to a place of safety to be given hot food. And there's a woman, and she's got a child in her arms, Um, she's wearing a mask and her head is covered. The child is fully swaddled. They're safe. They've done the most dangerous journey that anyone has done that night anywhere on earth, actually. And the moment that I can see is she's stepping onto the bus and there's a man behind her in a luminous jacket and he's got his arms kind of out, you know, like as a gentleman would sort of saying, you know, you, that gesture, up you go. And there's a woman in security jacket and she's on the bus welcoming her and pointing down the aisle to the lady's seat and you think actually you know it happens that those people are brits and in some ways that's the best of britain but what that is is the best of us that is the safe looking after the imperiled horatio clare is the author of down to the sea and ships of ageless oceans and modern men we will put a link to his ft article about dover in our show notes thank you for your time horatio thank you for having me mark it's been a pleasure Tomorrow, we wrap up our three-part series on the UK migrant crisis. We'll hear how different governments are approaching the crisis and whether a solution is possible. Before we go, sources told the FT that SoftBank's $66 billion sale of UK-based chip business Arm to NVIDIA officially collapsed on Monday. It comes after regulators in the US, UK, and EU all raised concerns about how the deal would affect competition in the global semiconductor industry. The deal would have been the largest ever in the chip sector. You can read more on all of these stories at FT.com. This has been your daily FT News Briefing. Make sure you check back tomorrow for the latest business news. Hi, this is Janice Torres from Yo Quiero Dinero. From a local business to a global corporation, partnering with Bank of America gives your operation access to exclusive digital tools, 
award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Visit bankofamerica.com slash bankingforbusiness to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America N.A. Copyright 2024.